Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This is episode 191. My thanks as always to Tea Leaf Tea, La Pity Chocolat and Yeasty Boys. This is a chat with Barnaby Weir. You know Barnaby Weir, he's the guy that uh, set up Fly My Pretties. He's the lead singer and songwriter and frontman of the Black Seeds. He's done a solo album. He did a, a sort of solo album under the name Flash Harry. Uh, he's been a, an important figure in the Wellington musical landscape for the last two decades. Now, I didn't know Barnaby very well, uh, and, and I've written some pretty rough things about the projects he's been involved in. I'm not a massive fan of the Black Seeds. I liked their first two albums at the time, and I, I kind of left them there. I have seen some really boring performances by Fly My Pretties. I've, I, I get that they are a thing people like, but it wasn't for me. I've written some quite harsh stuff about him, and we, so we didn't really know each other. And then, oh, it was a few years ago now, but we met, and we had quite a nice chat. We just sort of like, you know, had a chat about music and what we both liked, and, and I, I'd always thought I'd be great to interview him one day. I asked him a couple of times early on in the life of this podcast, and it, he... It wasn't that he wasn't into it, it just didn't line up. I think he wanted to have a product to push, he wanted to have something available. So he messaged me a while back and said, hey, do you still want to do this podcast? I've got um, I've got a new album on the way, let's do it. So we recorded this conversation a couple of months ago, but just last week, the brand new Fly My Pretties album was released. This is the first studio album by Fly My Pretties. Um, they're not really a band, they're a, a, coll- a collective but a lot of people will say their favourite band is Fly My Pretties and they've only ever done live shows and then put out live albums. So this is almost like a kind of greatest hits album, even though they never released an album as such a studio album and didn't have hits. They have taken some of the best known and loved songs from the live shows and done definitive studio versions of them with all the guest artists that, you know, people like Anna Coddington, that's a very important part of the, of the band uh, or the brand, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, I, I, I wanted to talk to Barnaby because he and I have lived in Wellington, well he's lived here his whole life, I've been here for a couple of decades, and we really haven't met each other properly, seen each other around that much, possibly we've avoided each other, I don't know. I was curious to see where this would go, and we had a great conversation, I was interested, even the music I don't really like, I was interested in the story around it, it was fascinating to hear him talk about Fly My Pretties, because I was working in music retail at the time, so I remember this just came from nothing, I mean the first Fly My Pretties show was at Bats Theatre, which is tiny, next thing they're selling out the Opera House, it's quite an incredible story, and his music, uh, whatever you think of it, has taken him around the world, and uh, you know, and he's taken New Zealand music around the world and uh, you know, there'll be some people listening to this that are fans of his and there'll be some people that maybe aren't. Uh, that's what this podcast is about. I thought it was a great story and I was pleased to finally um, get to have a decent chat with him and to find out all about it. So this is me talking with Barnaby Webb. We didn't meet for a long time and then you came up and introduced yourself to me at a bar one night and I was playing, and it was, which was the reverse of how it would probably <laughs> otherwise be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went and had a chat, and we had quite a good chat, I think. We sort of ha- talked about how, because I'd, re- I'd probably written some stuff about you that wasn't that positive, wasn't that favourable, but we, you know, have been around at similar time and stuff, and what we sort of resolved that night was we, we actually liked a lot of the same music. And since then, I don't think I've, we've really talked very much at all. 
Yeah, yeah, you Is were that... DJing at um, San Fran Bathhouse? Or... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and um, I like those kind of barbecue kind of yeah, yeah. sessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Um, but yeah, that was a wee while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, um, you've been in touch though, you know. And yeah, yeah, we've, we've... It hasn't worked out um, that's just right. time-wise or just timing-wise. That's yeah. right. I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a while for, for a couple of reasons. Like, I guess because, yeah, like we've, we've operated in the same city around the same thing for a long time without really touching base um, beyond a few emails and and you've done heaps of things and I haven't covered a lot of the things that you've done I want to know I guess just exactly where you come from in terms of your, your influences and music and the things you've done and if you and you know I yeah. mean I think like a lot of people I can I can follow from when things really exploded and the records started to come out but you, you know that didn't just happen overnight. So take me back to, to when you first hit with music, when it, when yeah. it first connected with you. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I guess we're going back to the mid-80s in um, Wellington um, in western suburbs. Mm. Uh, brought up in Crory and Kelburn, Kelburn Normal mm. School, Crory uh, Normal School. Um, I guess uh, we had, you know, mum was the, mum's got the musical ear and Dad had the production ear, and um, Dad is Dick Weir. He mm. used to have lots of radio shows, uh, mainly for kids, but he also did a little bit of TV video dispatch and things like that. Well, I, yeah, I grew up, like a lot of people, with him as part of the radio soundtrack to my, you know, I, I knew his voice and his name yeah. and listened for years. Yeah. Um, what was that like growing up with that? Like, when did you become aware of the impact that he was having on other people? Yeah, quite amazing because I think you, you, when you're a kid, you just think that everyone's dad <laughs> has a job like that, yeah, or yeah. similar. And, yeah. uh, and then I start figuring out that actually this is quite a unique yeah. uh, skill that he had and, and um, talent that he had with his voice and storytelling. I mean, you know, m- most parents would read their kids a bedtime story but if dad's doing it it's quite a, it's quite a entertaining quite thing an event. He, he can do yeah it's quite <laughs> yeah, an event he can, you know we love Roald Dahl and, yeah. and things like that and so he'd read me Roald Dahl stories and um and do all the characters you know so yeah. um, whether it was um the twits which I really mm, liked because mm. it's kind of but kind of dirty and scary um he'd, he'd do all the characters and he'd do it so well wow. and, and um his timing's you know impeccable in the storytelling, and he loved Roald Dahl's stories. Um, so yeah, so Mum had the musical um, yeah. side of her brain. Um, she had the record player, she had the vinyls, and it was you know your classic, your Neil Youngs, your, your um, you know a wee bit of Beatles, but not heaps of that. Um, and um, you know uh, Emmy Lou Harris and this kind of um, a, a touch of Nashville um, and country and Irish music. And um, and folk music and Simon and Garfunkel and uh, JJ Kale. So mm-hmm. really, I have to give you know um, her a lot of credit for playing that in the lounge and in the in the house, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so that was that was great. I mean, she also instigated some piano lessons with Roger Joyce. Um, and for me, it was quite a bit of a chore. You know, it was kind of like, oh, why? You know, I, I do like playing piano, but I have to do these lessons and. You know, a lot of people kind of, um, a lot of kids don't want to go and do the piano, the standard piano lessons, grade one to th- mm. through to eight. I didn't do that. I went up to about grade four or five or something like that, uh, maybe four. Um, so this is between ages, you know, nine and 12 or um, eight and 12. And that's, you know, we're really lucky to even have anything to, to go and do after school, let alone um, go and practice piano. But, you know, we had a we had a family piano. Mum had a guitar and she, she had been a casual musician. Um, in her past and so that guitar was sitting there a lot unplayed next to the piano which was being practiced on badly by me and my brother (laughs) and we used to wag those classes and stuff and kind of 
one time he paid me some money to not go so that mm. he would also not go. Anyway, um, I guess, you know, combination of being, um, trying to learn the piano, which I didn't like playing all that old stuff that, you know, seemed to be the syllabus for, um, mm. you know, the requirements. It seemed really turgid and really boring music and I, I really was getting starting to get into um you know the cassettes Jimi Hendrix cassettes and you know some of mum to music actually and um and but she wasn't so much into Jimi Hendrix but my friends were and I had some friends that had great musical taste as, as young people mm. and uh, having an older brother he handed down uh different stuff so we're talking the 80s so you know it might be like uh, an excess or um or uh, Bon Jovi, you know, Jovi, Bon Jovi yeah, at the yeah. time, or things like that, and Bruce Springsteen, you know, I didn't kind of, they were pop artists, yeah, you yeah. know, that were current yeah, know, at yeah, the time. Yeah. Um, Def Leppard, um, and then more interesting, you know, kind of more indie stuff in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so having an older brother for your musical taste is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the what's the age difference? Is it uh, four and a half years? So that's weird. see, it's that's exactly the same as me. I've got an older brother right. who's four and a half years older, and. Basically every artist you've named there, it's the same sort. Of, you know, I grew up in Hawke's Bay, but it's the same sort of story. Yeah. Mi- minus the the parents with musical, they had record collection. You know, they had interest in music, but no real um, application. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But everything you've just said is the same, and, I, and I'm sure that's the similar for a lot of us. You know, yeah. at that age and stage, right? But you're so right about the. The older sibling kind of bringing things. Yeah, back. just blowing my mind yeah. constantly with like you know, Pink Floyd and yeah. and um, Led Zeppelin and, and the Doors and stuff, and you're just like, holy moly! You know? Greatest hits albums. Those yeah, compilations that have everything. I've just been going through. You mentioned Hendrix. Yeah. I've just been going through a Hendrix phase for the first time in years, and thinking about actually, it was the that Smash Hits compilation and a, a thing called the Jimi Hendrix Concerts that were the first two albums of his I heard. It wasn't actually you know, any of the original albums, those two things kind of on a loop for years before I even bothered mm. going to because it was all there, like that was every great song. Totally. It was on those two albums and pretty it's, much. It's a, it's a great place to be and, and, and off on, on that, on, the, on Jimmy, because um, finally I, you know, while still doing piano, although that was coming to an mm. end because I was over it, um, uh, started practicing on Mum's guitar, and we put some strings on it that were missing, mm. and and started getting into that, and, and listening to Jimmy, I wanted to try to play the blues, and and I was really you know just uh, taken by the kind of sounds he could make. Um, not that I'm a um, aspiring um, kind of lead guitarist kind of sort of person, but <laughs> yeah. um, just you know, a wild thing was something I could play on one string um, on the E string, and um, and then for my eleventh and going into twelfth birthday, I got a guitar, an electric guitar. Mm. Um, which was I was bloody lucky. It was um, birthday. My birthday's close to closest to Christmas, so it was a birthday and Christmas yeah. thing with a little bit of a few chores and stuff as well. And that was a Axiom. Um, it's basically a Fender Strat copy, yeah, um, yeah. which is actually made really well. I still play it. I still, yeah. I still use it. Yeah. Um, in recordings because it's got this weird kind of cool bright sound. Um, so once that hit, then then it was like, okay, you know, let's let's really get get amongst playing guitar and learning some chords and learning some songs. Yeah, yeah. And from there, there was an opportunity to do a school show that was a musical show and to play some guitar in that. And so through teacher Jed Bartlett, he said, hey, you, you should play this role, which is this musician role in this um, in this end of year presentation that we're going to do at our primary school, Kelvin Normal. Mm. Um, and I was scared about that because I could hardly play. But I, you know, through, through a year, uh, he taught me how to play some songs and we played them in this production. And I could sing as well. He kind of found out that I could sing in tune. 
and um, so f that was the first concert that I ever did, um, probably you know um, Form Two or um, the end of Form One or Form Two, mm. and that gave me a little bit of confidence that maybe not. I wasn't thinking career, but I was thinking, oh, this is fun, and yeah, I like had this. some musical <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah. So we started a little band. Yeah, and. Um, can't remember if we had a name or what we were called, but um, we were just jamming on stuff, and we had my friend Nick Lloyd's uh, had a Jensen bass amp, and he had a drum kit, uh, and he was he was quite a good drummer for a, for a thirteen year old. He was a bit older than me, um, and we just started jamming. So that's mm. the that's the start. Keeping in mind that yeah, I, I was lucky to be able to go into studios and broadcasting house, watch yeah, yeah, Dad yeah. do his thing, and go, hey, yeah. there's all these microphones around. Can we record some stuff here? Yeah. That didn't happen until a bit later, but um, you but know, you sort of had around a, the, the stuff. You had an understanding that the mm. keys to the kingdom were mm. were within reach. <laughs> so, um, I mean, not not this is going a wee bit later, mm. um, and um, being a teenager and being a bit better at guitar and having a, another band that's just doing the odd school gig or you know mm -hmm. um, a lot of just rehearsals and jamming and stuff. Um, that was more the time when we could go, hey, Dad, can we record something down here, you know, yeah. one day? Yeah. And so he had um, a couple of engineers um, working from him. One um, is uh, the guy from um, Roberts from Trash. Yeah. And he, he had his own little studio next door. Justin Roberts? No, Robert. Evan Roberts. Mm. And he, um, and so for another birthday present, so this is sounding pretty uh, pretty lucky, isn't it? But um, I got to make a track with him. Yeah. And it um, wasn't with a band, it was just watching him use Pro Tools, which back in those days was cabinets. Yeah. yeah. HD <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and just started getting really interested into that world of producing sounds for mu making music. And um, but then after, and then around that same time, Dad, you know, recorded us on Real to Real, um, our band at the time. And um, we were kind of an indie, shoegazy type band. I guess we were listening to things like Ride mm. and um, what was the name of that Stone band? Roses and stuff. I think we wanted to, we called ourselves Jugendspiel, like youth music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having a German name seems yeah. so like modern and cool. <laughs> and we did the, we did a handful of gigs, but nothing, you know, nothing amazing. And there's still some recordings out there that kind of um, somewhere. I don't I don't know if I've got them, but. Um, that's that's really the basis, you know, the beginnings of mm, like being mm. interested in music. Sure, I had I was lucky to have a guitar and a dad who had access to a studio, so yeah, that was yeah, bloody yeah. lucky. But um, and parents that were generally into <coughs> music, yeah. obviously, yeah, Parent, yeah. So dad, dad's not he's interested in music, but it's not yeah. like his music collection's not that vast. His book collection's massive. He's he's a big reader and. Mm. Um, He's like, well, you should get your teaching degree, or you know, you're being a musician's not going to cut it. Then. I mean, I want, I want to. We're getting your story, and I want to get your story. But indulge me for a minute here, because so when you come into this world, he's already doing his thing. As you, and as you say, like as a, as an at home storyteller, you know, he's pretty good, <laughs> and turns out it's his job. But do you? I mean, how much you know? Do you know about how he? What steps he took to get into what he did? What was what was going on yeah. for him to to take the path that he did? Yeah. So, Dad, um, Dick Weir, he was in the. He was a young um, dramaturg, and he was good at this. And he did some Shakespearean stuff at school, and then he, as a, at a young age, he got into the New Zealand Players, mm. which is the touring group. Um, that would do um, a number of famous shows, but mainly Shakespeare, and they'd do, um, you know, a compilation of parts of famous Shakespeare plays and mm. tour that around the country. Mm. 
So he was a bit of a kind of an up and coming kind of drama kind of star. Yeah. And he um, was good at that. So he was kind of picked out as a young actor, and he did a couple of years in the um, in that that touring group, maybe mm. three or so, and then got um, started being an, an announcer. And um, I think I think his early jobs that I can remember, he, he you know he would he would be able to tell me exactly what his first job mm. was. But um, in terms of announcing, he was like four ZB or two ZB, doing um being being a co-host of a breakfast show, and then later we moved to when I was four we moved to Dunedin. He was um, the Coke breakfast show or something like that mm, um, mm. with some other guy in Dick Weir or whatever. And so that's you know. Quite funny, um, and he did some. He was doing kind of voice work and early voice work and stuff mm. like that for um, mm. for radio and for TV. Um, so that's and then he and then he um, started producing his own shows quite a bit later and um, for uh, national radio, radio New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, yeah. When they had a drama department that was that's right, yeah. quite you know substantial yeah. and and, um, and had budgets and um, and had you know your Peter Vere Jones and. Um, yep. Um, Scott and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lloyd Scott and, and people Ross Jolly. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. I've talked to Ross Jolly. He talked to I was going to say I've talked to a couple of people that have been that were nurtured through that department and talk about yeah. what an amazing infrastructure it was. You know what? A, what mm, I remember what, um, things like as a younger kid. This is so you know ten or or um, also ten or twelve. Um, being able to be in that drama space, which was the mm. only orchestral size recording room purpose built in New Zealand at the time. Amazing. And um, which was amazing, and, and it's empty because it's mm. just Dad and his producer working on their, their mm. um, uh, children's show. And um, so you know, it's like go and do you know muck around with the, the stuff. And I thought there was all toys. There was a piano. There was like five different versions of a phone that made noises. There was the steps that was carpeted, you know, for the foley for mm. the plays and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was just a basically a treasure a treasure trove of um, cool. Sounds that you can make, mm, you know, the mm. um, two coconuts for a horse trotting, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. You just, how do they do that? Yeah, you know, yeah. um, a little pit where you can make a mess, so dropping a plate or a glass to get that sound, mm. and they'd record all those sounds for the plays. Punching cabbages. Once all I was actually, sort of stuff. yeah, punching <laughs> cabbages. Yeah. Once I was actually in a, I was a, I had a small role in a play, and that's probably my first audio job that I got paid for because I was still at primary school and I was just saying a few lines of like, Mum, is it dinner yet? Or something like mm, that in a, mm. in a play in the background. But I got $500 or something like that. And I was like, wow, Amazing. this, is, yeah, this yeah. is great. Get me on more of that. Yeah, 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 I'll do that again. But never, never, <laughs> never eventuated. So that's the kind of time, and it's um, you know, 80s in Dunedin and then Wellington. But we're, we're um, growing up in Wellington, and um, I guess... And, you know, into the teenage years, um, you know, I discussed with you that you, you'd done a great podcast with John Toogood and, and um, you know, he's a, he's a um, well, the, the band she had is a, a great band, you know, um, idols for lots of people. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and certainly for me in Wellington at that later time, more than well, I was 16. You know? Yeah, I was going to say that, so I was in, I was in, grew up in Hawke's Bay and I was aware of when they kind of started to really emerge, Head Like a Hole and She Heart were the two bands from Wellington that we latched onto up the coast and went, fuck, you know, these are Kiwis doing really cool. This is the kind of music we like. It's heavy and it's, but it's got melody and ideas, but, you know, they're really doing it. And that must have been so, I mean, I've talked to a few people 
about this, but it must have just been so impactful for, for you guys growing up in the same city because it was enough yeah. for us and we they was they were like overseas rock stars to us because we didn't get to see them until much later in their careers because yeah. we were too young. But for people growing up here, you'd see you know they were you know they were working in the record stores. They were yeah. they were cool kids around town. They were only a couple of you know a few years older than us. Yeah. So they were around and accessible, right? In that sense. Totally, and, and you've got to you know imagine Wellington um, for your listeners at that time is like it's like pre craft beer, pre coffee, mm. pre movie scene, mm. um, pre you know um, factory yeah, drop. Just a, pre, you know, it's just like, a government bureaucratic city, right? Like yeah, it's kind of grey. It's kind of grey, and you imagine those winters, man. Like that, you know, it was like what going to do with yourself like you either go and cause trouble in the suburbs mm. or, or or in the city or you start a band or you you know try and do some art or get interested in something you know mm. it's, it's pre-netflix it's pre-cell phone it's pre yeah <laughs> you know all the stuff yeah, yeah. um that we take for granted now pre-internet and um so she had were definitely on our on my radar and with the older brother and older brother's friends mm. and family mm. friends that were saying hey check out this band she had i was like oh my god you know that um devolve yeah. I didn't love Devolve when I first heard it because it was yeah. more on the Metley side, but once Churn was out, yeah. um, I was sold. And um, like yeah. a lot of my friends, and we had you know a, f- a friend of mine, Mel um, Graham, who played drums in our band, um, was mates with those guys, and um, and so we were like, oh, cool, you know, we got, got to see them practicing a mm. bit, and, and they were really not really lovely, um, you know, and like encouraging. Um, and so that's the you know that's the that's when you see yeah a band doing something really cool and edgy and from New Zealand wow you yeah, know, yeah. I, just, I just didn't think that that was that possible was, that was another thing when you know when you're talking and I guess that's that's a, the the reason for it is because it was pre-internet but that was a thing we grew up with right like for something to be really good it generally had to come from overseas you know like and it was only ever just good enough if it came from here like it was good enough for New Zealand but you didn't have any belief that it would travel or mean anything but now mm. and I mean you've, you've directly been a part of this as well but now musical entities happen in, in bedrooms and people on the other side yeah. of the world hear them at the same time as we do it's amazing like to, for everyone and don't care about where it comes from at yeah. all basically because it, it comes from you know a web browser <laughs> basically yeah. that's where it comes from now it's so kind of like global distribution yeah. for everybody yeah like you know no matter yeah. how good or bad or whatever you think yeah global distribution you've already got a deal you know <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you pay your little your little fee and then you're, you're global so is there any I mean I'm sure there were loads but you talk about the sort of impact of She Hard were there mm. other bands I guess around their age and stage or whatever that you were going wow I can't believe I got to see them or just you know yeah, things um, even if even if it was on a, a slightly lower level or whatever like did, did blow my mind um, <coughs> I, I guess at, at our school there was a band uh, Fat Mannequin Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a brother. I had their poster on my first, um, you know, uh, hostel wall. Yeah, yeah. Fat mannequin. I think I saw them once, but you know, the poster was cool, and I had to have it because it was like a local, yeah. a local band in the city I'd moved to. You know, so pretty cool. I think it was yeah. Tim Arnold in that band. Yeah, I, I think. So, eh? yeah. Um, and then um, Breathe. Yeah. Which was kind of more what I was into later in terms of you know this kind of nineties was early nineties. Shoegazy kind of thing happening, you know, a little bit trippy and a little bit um, um, kind of these kind of long epic songs, soundscapey songs and mm. stuff. A bit less poppy. They they went poppy, um, but more poppy. Um, SNL um, 
which was um, you know John's other side mm. project was mm. kind of like really dirty. Um, and then yeah, definitely head like a hole for sure. That was you know head like a hole like for me too. Head like a hole, and she had were like you know very edgy. Um, you know um, she had on a slightly more um, refined kind of dark um, industrial way, mm-hmm. and then head like a hole in this kind of jungle. You know mm-hmm. just just crazy like naked muddy guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was you know which was really groundbreaking. Just their look was like what fucking look like yeah we, we're anti-look and here's yeah. and here's my naked body like you know so deal with it you know yeah, yeah. that's that's fucking cool that was, yeah. that was edgy as hell um and um and um yeah, uh, yeah those those guys um i think maybe maybe you know then my brother starts saying you know having bands like the pixies and things like that and then hip-hop's starting to mm. really take off so he's you know and my other friends into you know public enemy and um de la soul and and these kind of bands so i had a broad range of um mm. i was listening to a broad range of music even though you know she had was one of my favorite bands i still love public enemy i still loved um the kind of more hippie um de la soul and um and i still love the doors and led zeppelin like you know is, is just like a great um kind of foundation for any music lover to be able to just to hear that kind of stuff and hear John Bonham play and um, and kind of think about that. So that's the early 90s, I guess. Um, didn't see She Had till I was 16, and that would have been 97, 90, yeah, 96. Mm. Sorry, 95. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so what are you, around that time, you know, what are you thinking, what, what, what are you thinking you want to do? Have you got any memory back to... And any clue at that time? Um, I just because not everyone does. I'm just you know. I think that when I when I was twelve and once I had had one little show under my belt, you were. um, I was really keen to be in music. I didn't know how you know that was going to quite manifest, but you were going you you were going to be there. If we could, if we could get together some songs with a band, I was you know keen keen on recording and, and just. Not at 12, but um, mm-hmm. okay, so now you know, at 15, 16, it's kind of more like cool. Someone had a someone in our band had an eight track, um, real to real, so we could actually record it at the, the band practices. You know, we could um, get borrow a debt tape, uh, a debt recorder, uh, mini disc, I think was starting to come out around then, and so someone you know bought a mini disc from cash converters or something like that. Um, and so those kind of things were starting to happen, so we could record, and then I got a Tascam uh, cassette four track, so I could actually start recording uh, at home. Um, and I, I have a feeling I threw out all my four track tapes in a bag when I was moving house, like just into the mm. dump, you know, mm. by accident. Um, I'll be quite keen to track those down, just just for my own, just for my own, you know, a few laughs and and just to digitise it. I don't know, but um, so then it's kind of more like yeah, starting to record, starting to write some original stuff I mean we, we had written some stuff this band You Can Spiel and it was shoegazy and it was jammy and there were some changes there were some riffs it was a combination of those things um, but nothing ever happened with that band we kind of rehearsed for two years kind of thing and, and recorded the odd thing yeah yeah. but um, she had you know we, we supported she had by supporting I mean they played at a thing that we played at <laughs> and it was like a youth thing you know yeah. like a youth bands thing and we were on the bill um, and that was at OMW workshop um, which Peter Jamison was, um, was running, and, and Peter Robery, but more Jamison at that time. And um, so having a practice space was was feeling quite professional and growing up mm. to have a place to mm. hire and potentially record. Mm. And um, and that's kind of what I remember most about the 
about those early, yeah, the, the 90s really and so, pre-Black Seeds and pre-Flamopredes. Yeah, so the first real impact for you, like that you have in terms of uh, how people will hear your music is the Black Seeds, right, in terms of making records. Yeah. Being, you know, so when did that first album come out? Um, so we finished it in 2000, but we released it and we wrote 2001 on it because mm. this is so funny, eh? Like, 2001, oh my God, it's such a big deal. Let's not put the year that we actually released the album on. Let's yeah. put the next year because 2001 sounds cooler than 2000. <laughs> All this Y2K bug yeah, stuff yeah, and shit. Yeah. It's just like, it's classic that we'd even care about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was also Christmas time and like the end of the, it was one of, it was Loop's second release. The first one's Yeah, it was Ren Ren. Yeah, and what and was this, the third one? Yeah. Trinity Roots or something like might that? Might have been. Probably, Some eh? good stuff was happening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Me and, and Mike Eb, and I still work together. Eb. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that time was like, oh, let's change this fashion magazine into a culture magazine mm. and give a CD away like on the front of it and like actually distribute um, some mm. bands you know I think it's a great idea and it's it's quite ballsy I remember that I mean I'm, I've talked to Mark Kirby for the podcast so I've t- you know had his his side of the loop story haven't talked to Mikey yet and should yeah. do that one day yeah. but um, but Mark was running the magazine and the website and I was doing some writing for the website that was one of the first things I did so I remember I do remember when it, you know, as the magazine grew, got glossier, mm. got cooler. Yeah. Um, this and and same with the CD. It went from being like a, a standard basic, you know, coverless, yeah, uh, cover mount CD to yeah. to a packaged thing, to these really um, sought after compilations that. Yeah, you know, and those early ones quite groundbreaking, yeah. you know. Yeah, and um, and some of the music from bands that only had one single or That's like right. two or three, but yeah. Well, as I say, I remember that band Ebb. I think they only ever did an EP, but they were great live performance, and and um, that you know the members were all great musicians that did other things and all of that. So yeah. they were, but they really were important in that early those early comps. But so Black Seeds forms when? Yeah, so I was just you just tweaked yeah. my memory actually because before Black Seeds I've got two musical things that were yeah. important. Yeah. One is um, volunteering to DJ for Radioactive. That yeah. was a huge for me. Sharing music with people, meeting other DJs and musicians and having you know, doing getting into the radio thing, which is what my dad had already mm, already always mm. done, but not with music so much as an announcer. So that for me was big because we we put in our application and what we wanted to do was play Roots reggae music on the um, Sunday afternoon Roots and Culture show, which still mm. runs today and is strong. And so we applied for that. And Mark Cuby, who mm. you just mentioned, um, was was the head of Radioactive then. And he um, signed myself and um, I, and my friend Will Harris up to be um, beginners at, and do the Death Till Dawns. Um, and you do mm. four so Death Till Dawns. Prove that you're not going to bring yourself. the place down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and play, you know, music, you know, kind of actually have music playing. Um, so we did that, and that for me was really important because it's one, it just opens you up to a huge range of music that you may or may not like, but you know, it's just this great place to um, kid in the candy store. Yeah, yeah to listen yeah. to music, meet people that are um, much older than us or cooler, um, you know, like mm. um, adults, um, people that were into music as a as adult, as mm. like proper adults. And we're like, mm. wow, this is you know, this is a thing. Like we're not we're not stupid to be into this because we're not. We weren't like big sporty people. We weren't big rugby people at college and stuff like that. It's like we weren't anti, but we we're certainly not like first fifteeners type people. We're trying to be, or you know, it was mm-hmm. kind of we we're more into the arts. So radioactive was big, 
for a lot of us um, at that time. And then um, the Dub Connection was an early band that we put something out on one of those loop comps. Right, right. Um, Mikey fucked up the name because um, it was the DM, the the, um, the Dub Connections, the name of the group. Yeah. And he and he thought it was the DNB connection, right? And because he didn't know better, <laughs> it went to print, and so the CD has the DNB connection, right? The, which is wrong. So that yeah, really yeah. pissed me off because I was like, "This is our first fucking CD, <laughs> yeah. single we've ever done, and you fucked up the name, you know?" And so, there's quite a difference between DNB and, and yeah, dub, yeah, yeah. Too, that's right. What... So it was like full genre, <laughs> yeah, mistake, yeah, yeah. typo, yeah. typo, and genre. Oh god. Yeah, all of so them. I was really pissed off about that, but you know, you're like. Well, Hey, chill out, mate. You know, it's only yeah, a yeah. giveaway CD or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but you know, you, you care about these things, and, and I today still care about little things like that. You know, that you get, you know, one letter wrong on your mm-hmm. on your album notes or something like that can be you know, the end of the world for me. But well, I'm, I'm just trying to. The reason I asked when the Black Sets um, yep. first played was because I'm I've got this memory that there was a battle of the bands at Victoria University. Oh yeah. And Trinity Roots won it. Right. And they formed. Before that, before that, that. yeah, 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 yeah. it was basically, it was, I think it was Warren, Ricky, and Rio, and they just, um, they just sort of, he, Warren just had a slot basically, and the band kind of formed around that, but they won, and they're amazing. And I felt, and I feel like that was 98, 99, maybe 98, yeah, and I feel like Black Seeds was. There as well happening. Yeah, we we wouldn't play that. Um, we didn't do Battle of the Bands, but Black Seeds got together because we put a band together for well, radio. When I say Battle of the a, Bands, but I mean, that time, you know, it was it was. A, yeah. I don't even know if it was if that was the oh, actual right. name, but it yeah. was it was a thing similar. Yeah, right. But I felt like I saw Black Seeds. Yeah, right. There. At that time, yeah. Um, anyway, maybe it was just another night up there. But you were. Yeah. I just I just have this memory of seeing the band being like basically fully formed around that time, and you know, right. and, and very good, like very impactful. Yeah. I think um, at the end of uh, 98, um, there was a Christmas party that Marmalade put on, and it was called the Marmalade Jam. Mm. And the idea was that Radioactive have a band, that Marmalade put together a band just for fun, and that we record it at um, Studio 9, and Mm. we have this Christmas party where we have our own battle of the bands. Um, And so we put together a a band, and I can't remember what the name was, but it was something just funny and just throwaway. But from that, um, we formed... The Black Seeds, but there wasn't all the Black Seeds players mm. then. That was very much a, a joke band for the Christmas party. Mm. But it, it got um, the original members like Shannon and Rich, um, Christy, mm. um, Shannon Williams, and, and me together. They were all radioactive DJs, and um, and so that was kind of the beginnings of, of the band. But it wasn't until um, so we made friends with Lee Preble, who worked at mm. Marmalade Studios, and then we started recording there. And you know, two years later, we had we had the album, um, mm. keep on pushing, finished, and um, that was the beginning. You know, once you've got an album, we had done a, quite a few shows, but they're really small shows and stuff. But once once you've done a shitload of practice and you've got an actual album recorded, that to me sounded like you know felt like mm. we're a proper band. My memory is that the first mm. two Black Seeds albums, because mm. the second one. 2003, four, something like that. Yeah. A couple of years later, eh? Yeah, like, 2003, uh, three, I think. Yeah. That, um, they, they sort of, yeah, so they arrived close enough 
together. Yeah. And but certainly you're doing all the shows and the first album comes out and 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 Loop is yeah turning itself into an actual label. Yeah. And um, you, Rian, Trinity, etc. Um, and then you know you guys get really good and the records everywhere kind of thing. What was that like for you? Because that's what because yeah. I was working in a music store by again by two thousand and one. I did my first record store in the. 97 at Tandy's but yeah. I think at the very end of the year 2000 or whatever I'm working at a record store and doing that for about five or six years so the Black Seeds records were a big event yeah cool um, yeah I mean it was you know from my memory and it was a slow burner you know it was like yeah, yeah. it's really small but you know you um, keep on pushing got out there quite well looped it you know not a bad job of that mm. um, from that uh, EMI we signed with EMI um, New Zealand, which was kind of seemed like it, you know, was a big deal for us yeah, at the yeah. time, and uh, we, we'd done a, quite a bit of touring nationwide, but no, no overseas touring. Yeah. And by the time that On the Sun um, came out, which we had a bit of a budget for, and we, you know, we we were getting better as musicians, and um, it wasn't until like a year after that was out, or maybe even a year and a half after that was out, that because um, so true is on that that. Um, that's so true had a video by that stage right, and then yeah. that was made big because there was, there was music TV yeah yeah and so that became a, uh, a number one I think it was a number one single or at least it was a popular probably didn't make number one because it was so long after but um, mm. it became a popular single leading up to um, you know way after it had been released mm. so that just seemed to take forever and um and that's my memory of, of yeah. that but ZDM you know started picking up on a couple of these things and they liked that track yeah yeah that was like a not an afterthought track but it wasn't the one that we thought that would, right. people would like yeah, at all yeah, yeah. but it ended up being um, you know what people liked at the time and um, and we still play it now yeah yeah. And it's kind of one of those songs that you're like I don't hate it I, I like it but I think I've written better songs and the band well it's probably a bit like um, someone else dub had a couple of songs like that didn't they yeah. on their sort of third and fourth records and yeah. they're, they're good songs they're popular but they're not what a lot of people went to the band for yeah. but they really have Help launch the band to the next level. Yeah, I mean, because Seeds, just backtracking a wee bit, mm. Seeds was a um, at the start was a as a jam party band. Mm. You know, so it was mm. a little bit funky, a little bit we'd we'd have some, we'd you know rip off some uh, JB riffs and um, you know and grooves and stuff, but not try and be like James Brown, but mm. just like try and play those grooves. And then we play some Jamaican grooves, we play some Toots and Metals kind of sounding classic rhythms and stuff. You know, Mm-mm. and it was about hanging out and drinking and, oh, no, I can't, and, I mean, and I can having rem- a brass section, you know? I can remember being at my least interested in what the Black Seeds are doing and going to Homegrown and seeing you guys with it right. and, and the vibe of, of what you do on stage with a massive audience. And it's it's impossible to deny that. You can't go, you, yeah. you know, you can go, okay, I don't feel like listening to the record. But I remember just going, fuck. Okay, no, so this is what it's about. These and you yeah. know, I remember going and seeing you guys play a bunch when your first two records came out. I was quite into those, and I went to the shows. And I guess I got less interested as time went on. But it, yeah, I can rem- I can go back to sort of 2012, 13, 14, something like that. Seeing you at home, one of you know, whenever the last time I was at Homegrown, yeah, yeah, and going, you know, by the time six sixty is rolling things, yeah, yeah. But go, you know, you guys having thousands of people at a stage, yeah, and you know how to, you know, you know how to play them, uh, yeah, like think, you know how to play an audience well, yeah. Thanks. I mean, we focused on that, 
on the live show. Um, and I guess the translation between what you do in the studio and what you do live for us was quite, you know, quite different or mm. incongruent, I guess, mm. um, and for the fans because they're like, oh, cool album, bro, but, you know, <laughs> you're great live, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we'd worked on the live thing and there's something about not knowing what comes next, which people pick up on and, and you know, and just... Um, being spontaneous and, and, and making jams go longer and those kind of things, but at the end of the at the end of the day, we we came round to like, hey, if we're a band, we we need songs. We can't be just like doing all these cover yeah. covers yeah. of like these Jamaican grooves and stuff. Um, we need songs, you know. So we we started working on, on on songs, and I think a combination of those things came together for us for into the dojo and the right timing for New Zealand in terms of loving their own music. And, uh, is that the third album? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was the third album, which was our yeah. most successful yeah. um, album. Um, yeah, because you've, you've got a following by then. Yeah. Already. And then, but as you, there's room to move always, right? So there's, yeah. there's plenty of new people to capture, but you've actually got people that own the first two records look, anticipating. Yeah. And so that was different because we had... Um, Mike Fab was on the second album, but not uh, not so much on the first Um but the third album, you know, is, um, the band was going to break up basically because um, it was getting too much. My my plans as a younger twenty mid twenties person was like, let's take over the world. And yeah. Rich and Shannon, who had started the bands, was like, holy shit, like we've we've got to do other stuff, you know, and we can't yeah. put all our time into this band. Whereas I could put all my time into the band. So we um, it, it wasn't a feisty ending or anything, but they were like. You know, I can only do one gig a week or one gig a month kind of thing. That's where I'd like to keep it. And I was like, Nah, man, we want to. You know, I want to. We really want to do this for a living. So, um, so at that point, before into the dojo, um, um, Shannon was uh, was going to leave, and Rich was not that keen to play many gigs. So they both left, and we had um, Tim Dre and Johnny Murphy um, replace those guys. Tim Dre is an old friend of mine um, from school days and a great jazz player. Uh, and bass player, and, bass player yeah. and um and other and lots of yeah, other yeah. Uh, genres, but yeah. you know a very artistic, free thinking, um, bass player that you know he's got attitude and it comes through on mm. on on his playing and um and he also loved he loved kind of Afrobeat music and he loved Jamaican music and soul music so he could, you know he 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 got it he got the sound mm. uh, he was living in Germany at the time he. Moved back his life back to New Zealand basically for this with his um, newly born child and, and wife, and um, and Johnny Murphy was in Zavuya and he um, left his life in Dunedin and, and moved up to Wellington, joined the band and then we made uh, into the dojo. Brett left and Nigel Patterson came on and keys, so the, it was a big change for the seeds. Yeah, and Brett seemed to do all right after he did really well, didn't he? Yeah, amazing, and that's pre-famous Brett. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, he was for a while there. He was doing both. He was doing his comedy and he was doing Black Seeds. And it's like can't do this kind of this. And it's like actually, you just can't be in the band. He it's put like, out that fair really, enough, dude. He put out that really cool. Um, what was it? Video kit? Was that his yeah. solo project thing? Yeah. When I well, around two thousand four, cool. yeah, I did yeah. Flash Harry and he yeah. did Video Kid. Yeah. And yeah, a yeah, of, yeah. Uh, that was cool. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear. I know he's got heaps of recordings um, yeah. half finished or whatever, but yeah, yeah. it'd be cool to hear. Well, he's got he's got his other bands, but. Mm. Um, Congress of Animals is the new one, and, and, That's right. um, yeah, and yeah. obviously Flock of Concord's massive. But um, that was just a really interesting time for me because, mm. and for all of us, because the band was changing. Are we going to end? Are we going to continue? We don't want to be. A, we're not going to do it just to be a covers band of ourselves. And I'm really glad we stuck to it because we had a, a New Zealand number one album that with with Into the Dojo. It was just when 
um, if you could say, a golden kind of time for roots reggae music in New Zealand, mm, you know, mm. I reckon. And um, and so we... Yes, it was you guys and Fat Freddy's. Yeah, and Trinity were good. And, we, and then, that's right, and there'd been Salmonella Dub and, and Trinity and stuff bubbling, and then yeah. but that in turn got a whole lot of people looking back yeah. to... You know, whatever else there had been, yeah, as well pitch, as as well as yeah, and, yeah, yeah, as well as looking forward to to what was coming. Like it was really, it was quite a time. You know, like mm. looking back, it's easy to you know have a, it's a better perspective now of what maybe happened. But this is when you know units are actually selling. So yeah. you know, for a number one album in New Zealand, it was like forty five thousand copies of an album, which is actual money. You know, and it wasn't about yeah, and when, someone's ringing you what every week or every few couple of weeks to to give you figures basically right yeah this sort of stuff which yeah well i mean like and you don't know what some of them mean but sorry. the higher the number the better so <laughs> yeah. like if you're hearing a big number come out of someone's mouth yeah. you're going that's pretty good that's good yeah so you know no one went and bought a helicopter <laughs> no. from these from these um, from that money but what it did do was give the band one hope that there are listeners out there mm. um, to um, a bit of budget to make another one and um, yeah to keep going to keep going basically yeah. you know um, to keep on pushing yes yeah <laughs> um, so let's 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 yes. break off from that narrative yeah, for a minute because sure. you mentioned Flash Harry and I also want to establish exactly when Fly My Pretties happens for the first time because because this is where things start to get bit blurry bit blurry right yeah so, that's and right. I'm trying to remember exactly when it all so yeah we jumped ahead for into the dojo yeah. and pre into the dojo is 2005 2006 yeah. when it yeah. was released yeah um, and then but in 2004 leading up to um, when Black Seeds was uh, just done on the sun yeah. I'd done it a few years before yeah um, I wanted to do there were two things I wanted to do one I've been I had my own little Pro Tools system and stuff mm. that I was mucking around with at Radioactive it wasn't mine they owned mm. it um, and I'd made an album worth of material on that um, at the same time Capital Music um, had some budget Capital Recordings was yes. invented and and, um, and um, so this was like a little a little bit of a slightly more indie version of Loop yeah and, and so they're they launched Phoenix Foundation in a way, right? Like, That's or, right. Or, 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 or a Phoenix. lot of lot of material. Yeah, yeah. And some of it um, didn't see much of the light of day, but mm. was good. And there's, you know, there was a, there was an idea to to really put them on the map to release, you know, mm. twelve great titles in yeah. a year, kind of thing. So that was that was kind of exciting. And yeah. so that gave me the opportunity to release Flash Harry. Yeah. Uh, which which. And I'm what really was that exactly? Because because when I I remember when I that night that I first met you at Meow many years ago, and I can remember saying to you, and I know I'd been playing and we'd both been drinking, and it wasn't a particularly. I'm building this up to make it sound like it was an emotional conversation, but it wasn't. But it was a good conversation. I remember saying to you no matter what you you know no matter what you think I think of some of your music I fucking love that Flash Harry album and I, I wanted to tell you that oh, to your cool. face and I remember saying that and I remember you going oh wow really you liked it and I was like yeah man that was a fucking cool thing yeah, sure. so what was it like let's go back and yeah, explore so what it was because it was kind of a solo album through a persona took a while to, to come together it was yeah. basically yeah, me nutting away um, by myself really um, learning, yeah. learning Pro Tools ringing up Moo actually and saying yeah. how do I you know, do this push space back <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you know, for, um, <laughs> um, and 50 hertz was was really yeah, helpful yeah um 
Uh, I, I mean, I remember actually 2001 working at Radioactive and being there late at night doing this, you know, mm. this thing, not working mm. on there. Yeah, yeah. Late at night when the bloody planes hit the, uh, you know, oh, the towers, right, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, we were, I, I was listening, we were on air. And the, no, I was doing my own thing, and then the DJ came through and said the planes hit the tower of in bloody New York. Like, what? And then you know, just later, another one. So it's like, oh my god, be so. the worst place to hear that news at Radioactive. I imagine at that yeah. time, like yeah. people would be freaking out, stoned, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. knowing if this was, re- you know. So we didn't believe the first reports, exactly. yeah. yeah. And yeah. Then it's like, stop what I was doing, which was making mm. the Flesh Harry album, which mm. still took a wee while to finish off. Yeah, right? took a couple of years. Um, so, but yeah, that was a crazy time. I mean, are we just on the 18th? Uh, how many years? What's yeah, it's 15. Just, no, 15 it's more years. than that. Uh, was it 14 years? 16 years since or so. More, it's 2001. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. 18, 18 years. years. Yeah, that's right, just recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that, that for me reminds me that I was there mm, like at mm, one in the morning mm. or whatever it was working on my Flash Harry album. And it's one of those things. You, say, I, know, I now know where I was, you know, like as soon as you bring up that date. You go, oh yeah, okay, I know what I was doing. I know exactly where I was. It's so amazing. this was yeah. pre-Capital because it hadn't yeah. formed yet, but yeah. I was working on some beats that would come out in about 2003. Yeah. And Flash Harry's basically uh, me noodling away on some beats and some songs, you know, and trying to mm. hone my craft on songwriting, but without a band to tell me whether they liked it or not. Or yeah, yeah. There was no plan to tour it. It's basically, no... as I remember it, there's moments that are so identifiably, recognisably you, and then there are moments where it's like you wouldn't have a clue that it was... You yeah. or anyone, anything connected to the Black Seeds in any way. So it was this nice um, yeah. bit of experimentation that was not a complete left turn. Yeah, I mean, but you'd given yourself room to move. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think just artistically, yeah. musically, there's no reason to be in a box. Mm. Um, mm. And I mean, I, I guess by 2003, you know, this is still pre Dojo, so there's no album of any kind mm. that I've been involved with. Mm. Um, and it was just a great way to flex that kind of side of the creative muscle, I guess. And um, around the same time, I guess after 2003, mm. you know, what am I going to do with all these kind of folky songs and this kind of um, acoustic stuff? Don't they don't fit yeah. neither of this, either of these yeah, things. Yeah. And so I came up with the idea to just to have a theatre thing to jam with people that were my mates that were in different bands that I hadn't had a chance to do that with, yeah. and do Fly My Pretties um, at Live at Bats and do a live album, so it was something different again, you know. So that, that developed over 2003 and came out in 2004. Mm. I remember, uh, yeah, I was working at the record store, the CD store, when it came out, and um, yeah, I mean, you're talking Bats Theatre, it's not a big place, it's a little thing. So Fly My Pretties, the story has always been quite interesting to me because I'm, I'm sort of guessing, I mean I know Mikey's involved with you and it, so maybe there was always a plan for a massive trajectory, but I'm sort of guessing you couldn't have possibly expected nah. that within whatever years it is, it is you're selling like branded hoodies and playing the opera house. Like yeah, yeah. I don't know that that, it, that doesn't come across on that first set of recordings that that mm. was ever the aim. Yeah, but totally that is right. what happens. It just grows and grows. Yeah, yeah. So it's I was a, surprised myself. I, I'm curious to hear what you think about it Reflect, you know, now with yeah. some time to reflect because it's massive. Like yeah. it became a massive thing. I think um, you're totally right that um, the innocent um, mucking around mm. With this idea was was um, had integrity and you know just for just let's just see if we can do it you know and mm. like there was no money factor there was no hope of it being popular in the future or anything mm. like that or even a 
con- continuing past this one thing, it was like a it fringe show. It felt like a one-off. It was like a fringe that, show, that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Agreement. It, it, it felt like it was going to be a one-off. Like, listening to it, you're like, this is fun. Like, there's some good, there's some good mm. stuff here. There's some interesting stuff. But it didn't feel like now people could line those records up and go, yeah, cool, this is the first one, this is the second one. And yeah. look how they've changed in that. But that first one, it doesn't indicate that there's anything coming after it. It does feel like a little standalone yeah. and, project. And, it, you know, it's rough and, and live. And, you know, we've got Lee people who are, you know, yeah. who are now done two Black Seeds albums. We're mates, yeah. and we're like, "Hey, Lee, you know, can we pay you fuck all to come in and, and record <laughs> yeah. um, this live album?" He was keen, you know, and, and that was part of the show, you know. Mm. Um, like actually looking at him while he's yeah, up, yeah, you know, yeah. He talks about the how it works and mm. all this kind of stuff. So that was that was a milestone. Um, of course, you know, like Age Pryor and, and Tessa Rain and Nado and Brenda Moran and Darren Sigley and Mike Fab on bass. Mm. Um, we're all just pushing it in a different direction to what well, we've been think, doing. I was it? thinking, like, Nato is in pace load at the time. He's a bass player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got that thing on the first Nato's theme on the first Fly My Pretties, and it's him, it's like him playing bass with with the band. And, of course, now, and for many years, he's the drummer in Beast Wars and has completely Nailed musically it. reinvented himself. Like, yeah. it, it's funny to think of... The cast and crew of Fly My Pretties and where where they've gone and what they've done. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, all, all power to, to the Beast Wars, you know, um, phenomenon. And um, I guess, like, yeah, just thinking back to that time, you know, y- y- the offer is this, basically. You know, we're doing an artistic recording of mm. a live thing. It's going to be five nights at Bats and we can pay you 50 bucks a night kind of thing. Mm. And um, we're going to film it. And we're going to um, have a basically a, a live jam and record it and put it on an album. You know, do you want to do it? So I mean, I have to, you know, um, tip my hat to Mikey Tucker, who was like, mm. "It's a crazy idea, but yes, I'll help support that and organise it and get the right uh, film people." And and from there, a lot of great. Uh, there was a setup of a great crew of people working together, which was an unusual kind of idea. Like mm. we didn't all come together and have this big meeting and go, you know. Um, mm. I, I had to, you know, I had to sell it. It was quite quite a weird idea. Um, um, Sam Scott, you know we've been mates. We've been mates for a long time, but it was and it was like I love the Phoenix Foundation, but I'm never going to play in the Phoenix Foundation. That's their band, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just see if we can do a couple of songs together. Will you play on this little number? You know, let's roll. Or can I play on? You know, he's we he wrote most of Quiet Girl, but I played on that and he played on mine. You know, and that was how we shared it. So mm-hmm. it was just a cool experiment that. Um, that has gone too far. Well, why did you... Yeah, well, well, how did it go to that next stage? Like, do you think that... I mean, obviously people liked it. That's why it, it got bigger and carried on. But do you think that filming it was a crucial aspect? Yes, I do. Because that was pretty pioneering at the time. Yeah. I, I do, you know. Yeah. It was um, capturing that and having our own kind of antique treatment on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's quite vintage of black yeah, and white. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. But with new design it's kind of like all like new, you know like moving moving text and, yes, yes. Um, you know, a lot went into that from the Nectar, Nectar crew and yeah. Gareth and and, um, and the crew um, that were, you know we've become great friends and worked on lots of different things together now but um, so it was a really good team effort but yes having the video thing having the internet was, was actually working you know people were, were making content for the internet and, mm. and, um, and so it was easier to explain what the hell we are um, I guess um, and so um yeah, from there, you know, songs like um, Singing My Soul, though, you know, that's a big song on that album mm. for us and our, 
in our way um, got you know people love that song and that that meant that there was a an audience building from the small shows so like 85 people a night 90 people a night so you're only talking about 500 people that saw mm. the first ones mm. and then from there um, we did it was a wee bit later but we did another Fly My Pretty the return of Fly My Pretties which seemed to just be much bigger because I guess um, the album had sold quite well for New Zealand and um and so there was budget there to, you know, take a bit more of a risk on some shows in a bigger place. And so we, we did, yeah, we did the return of and um, and and broadened the scope with the artists. So, you know, we had um, a whole bunch of different artists, you know, like Amy Dick and Holly yeah, Smith and, and uh, well, she was a bit the later. third one, but yeah, yeah. It was quite a bit later, but... Uh, yeah, but you start bringing in these people and, and then it yeah. comes in a Coddington. And then some of them become... It's interesting, isn't it? Because Fly My Pretty suddenly starts to become talked about like a band, which is yeah. the one thing it's technically never yeah, you're been. Right. It's not a band, yeah. It's not a band. It's a brand if it's anything. But yeah. people talk about it. I feel like for quite some years now, people will list Fly My Pretties as a favourite band. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool, right? It's kind for of you, more concepts. Yeah, band, yeah, that's though, right. You know? and, but, that, but that's cool. It's like, how, you know, it's something that doesn't have to have an end as long mm. as there's great talent, new talent, and. Um, respect for that for the different parts mm. of it that people appreciate like people might listen to it because they love Anna Connington not because they like my songs mm, you know whatever mm, and that's mm. totally cool mm. you know so you don't have to listen to me harp on for like <coughs> you know playing yeah. every song I'm like yeah. I'm playing on her songs or not well I only caught up with the most recent one a couple of weeks ago and watched all of the you know all the performances oh, yeah. on YouTube oh, yeah, cool. and I String was theory. yeah yeah and yeah. I was kind of like man like this thing has like do you feel like it's gotten away from you in that you know it, a, ho- a whole new generation yeah. of performers are the stars of Fly My Pretties now yeah that, I think that's great yeah. and yeah yeah like uh, you know it's interesting you know you're still there other people are still there There, you know people like Anna and that have been involved for a while and, and so forth people come and go but I was interested going you know um girl called Mo and um, mm. Bailey Wiley and stuff like this it's like these people were wouldn't have been aware of Fly My Pretty when it started yeah yeah or, or, young. or only very vaguely yeah they'll be so young eh? yeah yeah and maybe one or two of them went maybe one or two of them went at one point I want to do that I want to be part of that maybe they've got their story of I wanting think, to actually yeah, be attached I mean, I, to it I think we I mean we ambushed them really you know right um, <laughs> Um, to be involved, yeah. you know, and I think they're probably surprised, but they might have heard of Flamo. Well, they would have mm. heard of maybe the other bands that, mm. that people were in. Um, mm. But I think the, the, the natural the natural growth for, for the concept is is that, and that's kind of what, what it was at the start anyway. Mm. <coughs> but me. you said you said, and I feel mm. like it was only part and just that. Had got away and become, you know, gone too far. Uh, gone too right. far. Yeah. Beca- yeah. Become a become a monster. That's yeah. my words, not yours. But you know, this you you're hinting at some truth in that. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't think it's I don't actually think it's gone too far because I think that there's there's a realm to explore that's, mm. that hasn't happened yet. You know, well, you're for a doing new that album. now, right? Yeah. What, what what we're doing now? What we're doing now is we've because you know making, we've never done a studio. Yeah. Album. So that's that's a. That's a new realm. So it's a new realm for us. Yeah. Um, and it's also great and a little bit satisfying to be a better player, hopefully a better singer, and and just do the, the official studio version of so these it, songs. It's kind of songs. like it's kind of like you're releasing a greatest hits album without ever releasing a studio album in a yeah, way. Like I guess it is. These yeah. are, you're picking 
highlights yeah. from throughout. So I say hits, I mean highlights. Yeah. And but you're making definitive studio takes of them that yeah. even though they've never existed. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's cool. Um, you know, uh, because we've been playing. You know, I'm just talking about my songs. Yeah. When I speak. Yeah. You know, mainly. Um, you know, we've done Lucky a lot of times in different sure. ways, and like, but it's so good to be able to record it properly with the band with Lee in the studio. It's not a it's not a chore because you're kind of going, okay, guys, remember how it goes? Yeah, of course we do. We've been playing it for fucking ages. Let's mm-hmm. let's just do do it justice and do one good take, you know, three good takes of it. Choose one and then yeah. layer it up and, and make it more interesting. And, and so when you put on the headphones, you're not hearing, you know, what you lose in the live kind of edgy just playing it for the first time vibe. You get back in the hi-fi like kind of thought through all the different melodies that have come through over the years on top of that and mm. so it is it's a repre- it's a representation I guess of the songs as well in a really cool studio environment where if you put that on your when, you know once the vinyl comes out which will be in a few months or whatever um, on your stereo and you've got it's it's not uh, you know we're trying not to call, like look at it as a greatest hits but it's just like we're getting up to date with ourselves in a studio environment mm. and having like quality audio and really putting you know time and money into that and effort into that and to recording serving the song the best version of the songs you know mm, mm. so there's a lot of material so the, the, the we're not mm. going to do every song yeah, but, yeah. but we're going to do three parts and we've done one we finished two we're releasing one now and um and alongside that i'm thinking about a new fly my pretty's album which is 100 percent unreleased right with new talent New songs, you know, new so show. yeah, new yeah. show yeah, yeah. in the future, you know. So yeah. that doesn't mean that we're not going to so do sounds that. Like, sounds like it hasn't gone far enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. It's, so not, it's not that it's gone too far at all. Yeah, it's gone far enough. Um, when do you come up with the genius idea to work with your father? Right. Like when does I know when that happens, yeah. but when does that when is that first talked about? Or is that like a long yeah. sort of dream of yours, or just did it? Was it just a spontaneous thing in the end, and then it? I think it was a, th- a thought, a late at night, maybe stoned and drunk thought of like, <laughs> we're all about the new talent, but what about the talent that's around us that's already fucking great, you know? Yeah, and yeah. and what what kind of concept would it be? We've done we've done Love It Bats, we've done Return Of, you can't do another Return Of, the Return Of, yeah, yeah. you know, it needs to have some kind of narrative. Yeah. And so that was a risk, but um, it was like, let's... Well, Dad is, you know, bloody talented guy. It's not like I'm wanting to, like, bail him out of um, retirement or anything like that. He wasn't retired. But, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. more like, wow, we could do a children's kind of thing. So it's an all-ages thing. It's not just yeah. about adults. And we can um, make up a story and maybe we get it, um, someone to animate it and, you know, go that way, you know. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's, uh, it was quite a big undertaking. And um, and Kieran Reinhardt did the um, uh, hand-drawn illustrations, which we animated, which was mm. harder than you think it is to mm, do that kind of mm. thing um, and that led us through the songs and that's when we have someone like Anna Connington come in and, and do Garden and you know mm. um, and I've recently been looking back at some of that stuff because we've been editing up some documentary stuff and so we use some of that you know so we've got this mm. huge fucking you know terabytes of, of um, great quality stuff you know to, to represent to people and just say hey you weren't there for the, at the time but this is what we did and yeah. and this is that song now done in the studio last year um, and it's sounding really fucking good you know yeah. it's a great song and it's just we're not going to do another version of that don't worry you know like Mm-mm. this is the definitive studio version which we've never had um, have a listen but yeah um, I, I approached dad and said you know this is what my concept is it's a musical story and um, can we write a 
story and we and we did and we we took some time to do that and um and it was around um water quality in New Zealand and and before it was actually a big kind of hot topic mm-hmm. um on you know um about runoff from farms or um in this stage it was some to- toxic stuff that these guys were pouring into the mm. river nearby mm. our main characters and it was about that so but yeah that was um risky because you're kind of making something straight up uncool because it's going to be a kids thing mm. and it's, um, and it's performing with your dad um, so those things don't necessarily mean that it's going to be the most edgy or hip thing and, and I'm not saying that it was but it was just a great idea as it turned out a great group effort from everybody mm. and um, cost heaps of money <laughs> and um, you know was pr- presented pretty well I think I remember hearing his voice and going, and I, you know, this this is what you would have wanted, obviously, and I was not the only one, but yeah, you go, wow, that's right, there it is, there's that voice, you know, I mean, you live with it, so you, you don't have this experience like the rest of us, but, but we're like, wow, there's that voice from our childhood. How did he feel? Yeah. Was I- he, you know, what was his? Yeah, I mean, I take away from that tour. Totally. It was it was awesome actually. He mm. did. He, I mean, he did a, a good job. It was hard. Sure. It didn't always go smoothly because no. you got like yeah, yeah, cues got, and yeah, different yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like if you hit the if you hit the wrong, he's great. Yeah. But if one of our guys makes mark, the wrong call, that's right. Then you're everything's you're, you're out, a slate out and yes. you're fucked. And he's got to you know. Yeah. Um. So he we but had a few a, moments like but that. But he's a seasoned pro. Yeah. So he does what he does. But yeah, yeah. what was what, how, what you know what did what did what did he feel and what did you feel about presenting him with that opportunity because that's taking him to a yeah a whole new technological front yeah he, I think he was taken back at first a bit mm. unsure and then just got into it and then we you know it was really good to kind of work together and do something together mm. it, was, it was quite unusual the um the, the approach um once you start visualizing it though you know and you start thinking well he's got a great voice he's a great storyteller mm, mm. we've got great talent here with the music it's not going to be it's not a musical in that you know yeah and yeah, then we yeah. went to the shop and then yeah. we did this it's like um it's a concept you know, the narrative so respect for both yeah that's right respect for both sides yeah um dad was was great at it and um and it was just an unusual experiment which um or hybrid of of the thing which keeps people guessing because it just means that um, we can do, you know, we can do anything, and um, and so the further we can push that, I guess, the better and the more surprising, as long as it's quality music, mm. so that you can listen to it as an album and experience something visually. Um, I think there's and with new different new talent, I think there's no real limits to that. But um, but yeah, kind of one thing at a time, eh? I guess, and yeah. Now, so in this mid mid and getting towards late two thousands. The time we're talking. So you've yeah. done you've done three Black Seeds albums and you've done yeah. a Flash Harry album and Fly My Pretties is launched and relaunched. So that's a thing. What else do you do? You do the OE uh, OE Brazil, Brazil project was a paid loop for project. by um, alcohol. Yeah, uh, that's Bacardi right. Was brand. it Bacardi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was so a great they, idea. They um, got what five or six of you and and yeah, paid for you to eight. Or, yeah, maybe um, people to we, yeah. We flew to Sao Paulo. And we rec- we set up um, in a like a um, diplomatic style mansion yeah, and yeah. tried to record songs there. And we, I actually was lucky to go to two different studios mm. um, and had and had some success in terms of musically, you know, creatively um, with a couple of different acts making up a new song. Very risky, um, I think. You know, for Bacardi, I mean, I head off to them too. It's like going to spend a shitload of money on this, you know, to show to prove that we actually 
are doing some cool cultural things mm. like um, mm. that we're actually right in there doing some new ideas and Mikey's you know Mikey and, and Rowan um, from Bacardi at the time it's a quite an outrageous thing to do mm. um, you know now now a lot of these alcohol companies have pulled way out of it and they're just mm. like mm. you know like I saw a billboard the other day of well not the other day the other year way after this of like a model with leaning down to scratch on a vinyl that's not there and it's like the turntable the needle's not on and there's no mm. vinyl on it you know like mm. so they didn't even on a big poster saying you know we we love music or whatever yeah yeah and it's just like you no know, it's even, totally blew yeah, out yeah. there fucking hell <laughs> no one's even given that a quick glance they've just <laughs> yeah. gone yeah yeah they've got to do it yeah, yeah just yeah. party <laughs> so we went to um, Brazil and it was amazing that was my first visit to Brazil and um, we made some friends there and we made some music I did I had a Flash Harry t- track with a guy called Bidji who was a who was um, uh, he wasn't lo- he wasn't loving it you know he he wasn't loving it I was trying to trying to get some vibe but like yeah there's a there's a, a, a interesting part of the documentary to watch um, uh, where I turn up to his studio for the first time meet him for the first time and he's just like reading the paper while he listens to my demos you know and I'm like what about this one and he's he's like yeah you know he's just like wow. literally reading the paper <laughs> yeah so yeah. I'm like fuck you buddy. Um, so he wasn't my best mate, but mm. um, but he had some. He made some calls and got some great talent, and to and and made my tune sound pretty awesome. But you know, um, that was one experience. Another experience was with Club de Blanche, and we did mm. like a very bossa, um, a mix of bossa and samba, I think, um, version of a song that I'd written there um, with them, and that's mm. way more like full and um, a little bit kind of sleazy in, 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 in a way um, not sleazy in content way but just the sound you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. with all the thing and uh, with all the cool Brazilian sounds and, and so that was a real that was a real fun and um, unusual project as well so yeah so there's there's a lot happening over yeah. a few years and what I want to know I guess what I want to know is is this making you income quite nicely and are you happy yeah um i think between oh oh five and oh eight whatever mm. um because you know with your with your you, you work your ass off and you on your music you 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 give a lot of your royalties away and you hope like mm. hell that that you can live off this you know mm. um and through that time was probably you know it's um Napster hadn't done its thing, you know. Mm, we're not mm, streaming. We're, we're buying, mm. we're buying CDs. So there is actually a chunk there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I lived off that, um, of some money. I had a publishing deal with, I still do with um, Native Tongue, and they were really supportive. And in those times, got an advance from them. Had some savings. Moved out to the coast. Mm. Um, it felt, uh, it felt exciting. It felt like. It didn't feel like you know it's never going to end or it's always going to mm, go. The yeah, income's yeah, yeah, always yeah. going to go up. But I was wary of that. But at the time, I had like money in the bank. I was like, yeah. "Fucking hell!" So you were God. being paid to write and play music, which is yeah. the dream, right? Which for, is the for, dream and still yeah, the dream, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and to and doing other things, but but you know, yeah. but surviving on those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you have to. I'm, I'm grateful to the. To the bands, it's obviously not just me doing this stuff. Yeah. It's like full teams of people and but you're, a lot of sacrifice and that. Yes, but your brand, your personal brand, is kind of establishing very strongly at this point, isn't it? Like yeah, it's now about. I'll go to that because that's a bar. So oh six to maybe yeah. twenty ten. Yeah, it's just quite a, a good time. Quite yeah. a, um, a good time in terms of yeah. yeah okay, there's, there is some income. 
still managed to spend it unwisely and mm. and these kind of things. And um, but there's gigs, you know, that you can do around this time. And um, and then you know, yeah, and then it's around 2010, you know, where where the reality of streaming um, kicks in. But one great thing for the bands that I've been involved with and started, whatever, or been a part of, is that we had content. You know, yeah, so yeah. if you're if you're a new band starting out and you're quite ulti and you might not ever have a big you're not dreaming of a big hit or anything, but all of a sudden there's no point selling CDs and all, you know, mm-hmm. and the sky is falling kind of mm-hmm. thing. I'm, I don't, I never really bought into the sky is falling thing because I think that we're just at the low ebb of of appreciating um, art and paying for it properly. And I think that's that's going slowly, but it's going the right way mm-hmm. um, in terms of financing that mm-hmm. um, and, and monetizing that. But at that time, it was like. Oh, don't even bother being in a band then or making art because you never yeah. pay for it, which <laughs> you know, which sucks anyway because it was it was already hard enough, right? Mm. So that's just the time that we we, mm. we were living in. And but thankfully, having released those albums, there was some good content, there was fans, and there was gigs, you know. Um, but it was yeah a bit of a kind of a golden time. I I think that. I don't, we toured a lot, like Black yeah, Keys toured yeah. a lot. I don't think yeah. we, we recorded a lot, you know. And I, sh- you know, I was going to say, so that's when you, you kind of the Black Seeds becomes a a going concern as a live act, particularly more so yeah. than you know you've got enough material on record to justify playing a lot, like touring regularly. Yeah, but that's more what you do. So, are, are you able to appreciate that at the time that you know, apart from blowing some of your money, which anyone does, um, are you able to appreciate that? Shit, we're on a pretty good wicket here. Like we're not, we're not made. Like we don't, yeah. you know, we don't can't take our foot off the gas. But yeah. no, it felt good. It felt good. Yeah, it felt good. Um, also, just touring into far flung places mm. and having some kind of vibe, you know, and, and being a good touring band. Um, with the Black Seeds, um, over the around this time, you know, Pretties hadn't done a lot of live shows, so we we put out an album, uh, the Homeland Tour, which was all about the tour. That was the that was the concept, like yeah, you know, because we've had different concepts, obviously, yeah, yeah. and it's like a story, and then it's um, uh, the the uh, five uh, or four, sorry, which was just about the music mm, and, and mm. Flox's artwork, yeah, and then five was um, uh, Homeland tour, which was just the first time we'd been out to you know all the different regions and actually playing in the regions all the way down to Invercargill, mm. but we put off a huge fucking tour biscuit, which was. Um, um, starting at the top of the north and finishing at the bottom of the south, or almost the bottom of the south, 27 shows in 34 days or something, which is just, I mean, by anyone's standards, it's 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 silly. It, it feels like a good idea on paper, but it's actually just brutal. Yeah, you yeah. Know, by the end of yeah. it, I was fully yeah. over that, and I'm sure but yeah. everyone did well to like do a good show on the last show in Invercargill, but I remember that day and I was how like, does that, fuck this. I mean, you, you have other people in place too are managing and stuff, but wh- totally. like, what's your... Role? Are you like captain of the team, and do you do people come to you with their problems, and do you, are you, you know, the guy that's sort of like? I think that Mikey and I and the, and the yeah. tour managers, you know, we share those roles. But yeah. at the end of the at the end of the day, I'm the musical <coughs> director. Yes. This is how. This is what the order we're going to play. Mm. This is how we sing this song. You know, and like and be there for someone if it's like, hey, um, you know, um, artist A. Um, 
doesn't want artists to see or whatever doing that and the thing. And if they can't tell them, then that's yeah. my job. But generally, yeah. everyone's communicating well. Yeah. There aren't many op- uh, things like that happening. But you know, if there's I'm just thinking a sheer numbers thing. Like it yeah. must get fraught at times. Maybe you I've don't. Got, see I've got that, to. Um, I've got to lead. Lead at the front, you know. Yeah. But 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 once you know, just have the have a hopefully have a good attitude and make it keep it fun and then be the in between between um you know the um producers of the show and the budget and you know and some ethical kind of boundaries of like no we don't do that to that person oh that person's feeling like shit let's give them their own hotel room tonight mm. and you know whatever if we can or mm, you know things mm. like that but um look I mean Mikey's done some great work um we've done some great work together and um and learnt a lot from those kind of incredibly hard but worthwhile tours I mean I think we lost a considerable amount of money on that mm, particular one mm. and that's without having like a full concept I mean the concept was come to the show and we've yeah, got yeah. some old visuals and we're playing you some of those songs as well as some new songs and recording it um, but there's some really good songs on there and people like Mel Parsons joined on, on that particular um, mm. run and, and she's amazing and so you meet you meet these great people as well along the way that um, you become friends you know mm. um, so it's it was mm. worthwhile. Um, and then, yeah, 11 through 13, Black Seeds are touring a lot. Um, and European, European stuff and a bit of America and, and Australia and stuff. And so that starts getting um, quite full on. You know, but mm. we're, not, we're not making heaps of money or anything, but we're just touring a lot and, you know, making it, making, getting by, really. Make, surviving through, through doing the work like it. There's a cost to doing the work. Yeah. But... And a cost on families yeah, and yeah, and, uh, yeah. and relationships, you yeah. know, and... Um, well, that was my question earlier that it, you know. that you, you might have dodged, but you might have just uh, forgotten, was around um, being happy through all of well, this. The, the holy yeah. stuff. Um, well, just... Well, I'd, yeah. all of it. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. What's, what's... What particular tolls do you feel... Yeah. Have effect, you know? Y- yeah, that was that was a, you. a cool, um, a, a uh, amazing, you know, kind of part of my life and um, and relationship wise with Holly, it was it was a lot good and a lot up and down, you know, um, and um, and challenging and personality wise as well. Um, with two artists, you know, being yeah, together, yeah, it was yeah. like people think, oh wow, you must go home and jam together and stuff. And you're like, <laughs> fuck no, you know, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Don't want to do that, you know. No. That's cheesy as hell, or you know, it's not like um, sheer and fucking what it was. Yeah. Um, so you know, I've got lots of great memories from that time, and a few, a few bad ones, and and and, but not, you know, nothing like fucking really, really, really bad. But um, just managing each other's personalities, um, trying to make trying to make life happen as a, as a muso and those mm. challenges and she had some amazing uh, opportunities and challenges and successes and and um, and some things that weren't as successful some recordings and stuff that just weren't or and some big some big highs and lows you know mm. um, with two people that are quite dynamic and quite sensitive um, as well so mm. um, so there was sweet times and there was some not so sweet times but um, but yeah no regrets at all there Um you know, we did some great work there separately mm. and, and a wee bit together mm. here around mm. the time. Now, I mean, you've been basically making music in the public eye for a couple of decades. Mm. That's probably something you haven't even quite stopped to think about. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. It sort of goes going towards half your life. Yeah. On a stage. Yeah, you start when the numbers start flying around. You're kind of like, oh yeah, mm. that kind of sounds good. I mean, we don't use it necessarily always to promote or like mm. you know because it's not necessarily a promotion to say 
oh, Black Seeds have been around, you know, 21 yeah, yeah. years, you know, yeah, oh, you yeah. old guys, get the fuck off here, you know, like, you've got to be good, you know, <laughs> yes. so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've still got to be good if you're saying those kind of things, but we don't use it as a marketing thing, but no. when I hear, like, so we are in Vanuatu last week mm. uh, for one show at a free uh, Nopuan festival, which is, uh, yeah, just a great island festival, um, lots of local talent, and, and they have some internationals, mm. and the last time that we'd done, been there was 12 years ago. Wow. When we had done the one by one video there with yeah. Brett, which was one of his last gigs, yeah. he'd actually left the band and just then, and we we're like, "Can you just do this? You know, would you come to Vanuatu and do this one gig with us? Because um, one, it'll be fun. There's mm. no, there's no real money in it for anyone, but um, it's going to be Cheap fun. Holiday. And we're going to, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're yeah. going to Vanuatu, and we, yeah. we also want to f- film this video for one yeah. by one, which um, has become quite a um, quite a song, um, a known song for the seeds, and I love it. We play it now. Um, Anyway, um, I think my point was that um, when you hear 12 years... Yes, yeah. And then someone says, 14, was it? And you're like, no, no, apparently not 14. No, it was 12. It was 12. The day, yeah, yeah, it was 12, bro. But when you hear those, then you're like, okay, that doesn't seem like that long ago. Yeah. And at the same time, it's a fucking age ago, you know, because it's a yeah. different... Um, when the band changed a lineup and a transition there and... Um, but... How did you go? But the it's other documented, one? you know? I mean, that's what art is. Yeah. Like, recorded, painted... Yeah. Um, you know, it's not. It's certainly not about the money, as people say. It's like about how much cool shit can you make before you die. You know, and um, we can say, well, twelve years ago we did uh, one by one, and that was a cool video, and it was a really cool song. And mm. I remember the day we recorded that with Brett, and and it's a sound of the Black Seeds that was that you know that into the dojo sound, and um, lots of fond memories, and, and and from that, and I think you know, was it translated well? Yes, it was. You know, it was like because you get that thing of like, oh, that was. We didn't quite know that, or we didn't quite know that. But age and time gives you a bit of a better perspective of like it's actually pretty mm. good, you know. Mm. Even if you don't listen to it for ten years, or whatever, mm. you know, you go back to it and you go. Oh, shit. And how did you go there the other week? Yeah, we, we did pretty well. It was it was rainy. Um, it was a bit rainy for a tropical island. Um, we actually did better than the time before because it was a festival that was developing, and the culture around a music festival over there is different to a Western mm. uh, culture, which is drinking and making as much noise as you can. Over there, it's drinking kava and and not trying to embarrass yourself in front of mm. your family and friends that are around. So the first time we played, you know, they really like it because there's silence after you stop. Mm. You know, almost silence because mm. they're just watching and listening. They're not there to clap and dance and make a show of that. So that was like, well, okay, sweet ass. Um, similar to sometimes to the French, but then they can go really loud. But um, but this time, there's because there's been a, a, a social kind of development towards mm. a more Western-style um, free concert, there was more noise being made and stuff, so you could really tell that they were loving it, and there's lots of people listening and stuff. So it's about, they said about 10,000 people, but I think watching us maybe like five to seven or something at the mm. most, you know? Mm. Well, it's a um, but it's great, still. Yeah. really great to be asked back. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and now I mean, without wanting to sort of uh, dwell on 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 anything resembling a failure, mm. I'm just thinking because you've played so much and with the mm. Black Seeds, particularly in in so many different places, you play a style of music where, yeah, it can be pretty easy in a festival situation to just go on and there's a, an audience already there for a good mm. time and yes. I'm not you, you do good work and so it works well mm. um, so I'm sure you've had a lot of experiences where you're like wow that was easy that was good fun you know that you know we yeah. did our work but that was easy have you been put in situations where you guys or say a promoter or whatever has has really booked you at the wrong gig and you've turned up and you've got no following yeah, and sure. you know it does it has that has that happened yeah. very much and yeah it has happened a number of times <laughs> where um, I mean 
not to say it was the wrong yeah. festival, but like maybe just the yeah. wrong time slot, or yeah, and it works the other way too. That's what I'm thinking with festivals. Oh, yeah. for every for every example of it being an easy gig, there's so yeah. many variables where it's like you know the wrong time of the day, the wrong the weather, whatever. You totally. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, like, um, so you know, we've just been on European tour and UK tour. Mm. Um, it was for three weeks, three and a half weeks, and. Um, you know, Boomtown is this massive, massive festival in England, and so we're kind of, you know, it's kind of scary and exciting mm. because we're playing Boomtown on this big stage, like the Dub Root stage, which is epically huge, mm. and um, kind of like that's the focus of you know of, of our tour. We don't want to fuck that one up, and we didn't fuck it up. But you know, it's it, um, it's pissing down with rain. There's been a big act at that stage, and then there's big acts at all the other stages, which are 25 minutes walk mm. away. You know, mm. so the the timing for us, even though we we're stoked to be on the stage, we've been building this up in our minds is we're going to be playing in front of 25,000 people in about 10 minutes. You know, but you look out to the audience, and there's <laughs> hardly anyone there. You know, yeah. and you're like, no, we're not, guys. So you know, let's just play a good gig. <laughs> Don't yeah. fuck it up, and yeah. then you know, just I mean, and then but you know, ray of sun, the sun kind of comes out for about twenty five minutes just when we're playing, which is great, or well, for our whole set actually, and um, and about five, oh, maybe four thousand, maybe less Kiwis basically, and and their mates start coming in, and you know, as we're playing and listening, so there was a there was a light, you know, uh, there was a silver lining to that one, but you know, sometimes your expectations are just just wrong, or the timing's not great, but mm. we'll take any gig, you know. Um, mm. And then there, on the, on the other side of things, it's like um, there might be a scenario where you're like, "Holy fuck! I didn't realise that we're playing in Basel in Switzerland, like for a free gig in the middle of the square, and now there's six thousand people here." You know, where you're just like, "Holy, that's mm. so cool! We just made mm. a whole lot of fans." Mm. Um, and then there's yeah, there's other ones where you're just you know you've only got fifty people in the crowd, and you're like, "Shit! Oh well, you know you still play, you still play as well as you can, and and um, try and make some fans." Mm. Mm. Um, and you've also like I mean I was thinking I can't I can't have been the only person that's written negative things about some of the projects you've been involved in but you've also had heaps of yeah I mean the proof is in the pudding in terms of people wanting to go to the show buy the product be involved anyway but you've also had heaps of rave notices over the years from people Um, do you does that affect you directly have you have you been either beating yourself up or whatever about following any of the analysis of the yeah. band or are you just trying to do the work um i think more nowadays i i don't i skim over things yeah. when i read things if, if i read them yeah. at all but um i think i think maybe back in the day um when you're yeah you're really you're trying to you're working hard to um to get know, try and get something out yeah. it can can hurt your feelings a bit but if it's a bad review or a bad thing but at the same time you're like oh well that's that person's opinion and or and it might be wrong or we don't agree with mm-hmm. it but you know you just gotta you just gotta kind of keep keep charging along with it and then there are you know things stick so like sometimes like we had a we had a, a German Rolling Stone magazine quote this is one of the best reggae bands at the time this was like 2011 or something mm-hmm. you know? And that's a great quote. Well, we don't we don't go around with that flag, you know, waving that. Yeah, yeah, but other yeah. people always say you were. It's been yeah, quoted yeah. that Rolling yeah. Stone magazine, like German Rolling Stone, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, said this. It was yeah, a fucking yeah. great. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was fucking great. And I think that the different perspectives around the world of the same music mm. is really interesting because in Germany, um, we're we're a bit more exotic. We're a bit more exciting. Um, than we are in New Zealand because we've been around for a long time because it's not mainstream music generally mm. um, and um, even though there's a there's a great following here mm, you know um, mm. um, and most of our fans kind of well 
a lot of our fans live in New Zealand, but actually if you added up all the fans around the world, I think that would be a, the same, if not more, around the world, you know? Mm-mm. And so it's just interesting perspectives. And, you can, yeah, you, you definitely lose a bit of the sensitivity and, and over the years and just be like, fuck it. Like, I mm. like it. We like mm. it. That's, that's where bands sometimes go wrong is, like, overthinking things and yeah. changing uh. their sound to, to meet demand out there for different things. And mm. I think the band, our band is not, bands have not done that. And I try to keep integrity with what I think is cool. If you think you're playing something that's really shit or that's um, not well written or could be better, then either make it better or don't play it. You know, it's like you don't need to represent yourself thinking this is going to be a hit because it sounds so shit. Or you know, yeah, I don't, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but and you know, maybe we'll never have global success um, more than what we already have. Um, you know, it's also good to have say to try new things like do our Black Seeds version and then get a, a producer in to just fucking do whatever they want, you know, Mm-mm. and just see what happens, you know, um, which we're still open to some of those kind of concepts, you know, um, but you want to be happy with what you're putting out. Mm. Um, otherwise, it would be a bit like, oh, this this whack tune. But hey, most people would say, you know, take the money and run, but you know, <laughs> we've been around too long to not be making good art that we should be making and feeling good about it, you know? Mm-mm. No, well, I was thinking, like, you've survived... T- in many ways, and one of the ways you've survived is the role of a critic. Say what I, what I used to do and still kind of do. It's completely irrelevant now, you know. Right. In, in, in so many ways, isn't it? Oh, okay. I mean, you know, and the you know, if I post a bad review of a gig I've been to that you've played, you can also you or someone else can post YouTube footage of the actual event and. Yeah the crowd who were there and the crowd that wish they were there get to see that and that's yep. the best answer to a review uh, if I say if something so. about the album now you're f- the fa- the album has actually already reached your fans before I've got to it you know yeah, when I say me I'm just saying the, cr- the critic so you, you've you've gone through that era and, survi- and kind of survived that like in yeah. some ways it's helped you because you've you would have definitely benefited yeah. from lots of great reviews and bad ones as well yeah, I mean, yeah that's right it yeah, makes yeah. people think doesn't it yeah. about what they like and what yeah. they don't like but I, I don't think that you know I, I think this is still it's still actually valid as long you know for someone that's um, a critic mm to write a review and whatever they're going to write, and even if people are expecting, oh, it's going to be fucking bad, or, you know, watch mm. out for this one, it might not be. It might be, mm. actually, I really like this part, but I, I think the whole concept's, you know, not my thing, mm-hmm. and this is why, and it's it's all rel- it's all great stuff, I think, mm. especially because you look at some of the fucking um, media and, and journalism happening out there, it's really shoddy in terms mm. of people that, A, don't know what they're talking about, but, but they have this opportunity to write and... and um, Mm. Present it to the world, like and mm. like our newspaper, which is now not a you know, newspaper anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think you know I think experience goes a long way, and um, and if a critic in food or in, in art and you know knows has a lot of albums, listened to a lot of music, seen a lot of shows, has an opinion that might not be that um, agreeable, um, it doesn't. It's still worthwhile and it's still valid, you know. Mm, mm. So what what else is in the pipeline? So you got this. You've, you're already immersed in this studio recordings. Yeah. For uh, I, I know the other thing we have. One of the things we haven't mentioned is somewhere in there in that busy period, you you do actually release a solo album under your name. Oh yeah. And you haven't done another one. Yeah, there's. I've got material for, is for that, that. Yeah. So that's going to yeah. maybe maybe happen. That's just kind of like maybe slightly psychedelic or kind of 
trippy and rock and roll stuff, you know, mm. that, that, I, that, that might not, that I just want to release. I've got heaps of that material, heaps of recordings that are unfinished and a new Flash Harry album that I really want to finish this year, um, which has been on the boil for so long, so long that you mm, do mm. new stuff and that becomes better than your old stuff and then you go back and go, actually, no, right. that, that so stuff's pretty good, actually. You're kind of cu- having to curate. Yeah. I'm just keen to um, get amongst it, finish a, bunch, a shitload of music, not have it carry on and wail on for too long, you know, get to the point of it and have shorter songs like back in the day when songs were mm. a bit shorter, not for radio, but just for humans to, yeah. you know, be able to concentrate on a bunch of different material and release that. Um, so that's that's a big thing. Um, the Fly My Pretties releases and, um, and just songwriting and, and living up the coast and making, um, uh, making an effort there, you know, um, to finish the songs, to... I guess get a whole lot of stuff that I've been working on which is new to everyone else because no one's yeah. heard it out Yeah. regardless of record deals shows that you're going to play any of that stuff which sounds like it's going to be a disaster but it's not as an artist <laughs> it's got to be out there yeah, to share yeah, and then yeah. something great will come of that Yeah. in whatever way and what you know whatever level it doesn't have to be um, a successful touring band or a big hit or a, you know I mean I think you've got to have you got to have some faith in and um and all these hours that you, that I've put into, um, I've got that faith in what I've made, yeah, you know, yeah. and I've just got to put it out. Well, I was just thinking, you've been very prolific, like productive, obviously, in terms of all the different mm. projects and how they've come, but you're talking about having quite a lot of unreleased material or, yeah. or, or ongoing projects. You're obviously quite a prolific writer and and, and uh, tinkerer, you know, like yeah. recording yourself. Where does all of that come? Where does the motivation or inspiration come from? Yeah, um, you know, I think I think there's a few different levels to it. One is being by yourself, doing whatever you want to do late at night, during the day, whatever it is, and just like challenging yourself and feeling different stories coming, or you know, and and musically being able to do whatever you want. Then there's the other kind of hat, which is playing with people in an established band and trying to always better your band and better yourself. Mm. As writers and and put out music that your fans might like, but that you like, and that's kind of got a great outlet and a great fan base, you know, and then, um, and so yeah, I've got, uh, so I've got a, a number of those different things, some with big audiences, some with no audience, mm. and I guess the one with no audience is good because it means I can just take lots of risks, um, be try and connect with a raw energy and a raw um, emotional thing, which I can just answer to myself and I don't have, you know, it's not going to um, damage or make the band look like you know, losers or anything like that because it's just whatever I want to do, you know, so there's those kind of two sides. And so I think they're evolving, and I um, really need to release for myself um, a whole lot of flash area material, which is kind of mm. like late night, slightly druggy music, but you know, not druggy music, but just like a bit edgy and a bit left center, and not um, it's not a pop act or a pop thing, but mm. there's a bit of kind of like disco in there and late night kind of um, kind of breakbeat, well, not breakbeat, just beaty kind of meaty and beaty, and then there's experimental um, kind of more guitar based trippy um, kind of dad rock stuff which which I want to release as well so mm. I've had support from um, my publishers for years and I just need to there's no deadline on these things I just need to for myself get rid of that stuff to have a new refreshing focus mm. on, on some of this other stuff you know on, on just some new brand new shit you know try and make it good but you get you hopefully get better if you get a worse if a track you know you think's great one day and then you go actually that's cheesy and probably shouldn't release that, um, then that just goes in that folder, you know? Mm. 
And what do you think about the... Because there was a time when... I mean, I, I know Black Seeds, Fat Freddy's Drop, even Trinity Roots, all still going entities, obviously, at different times and in different situations, all doing well, obviously, but there's that whole new breed. Obviously, 660 is one of the biggest bands in the country, and then your Drax Projects and all of those yep. sorts of things that are bubbling up under... Totally. Is it doing great? Yeah, is it? I mean, I know you've worked with them and and been mm. on the bill with them and all of that sort of stuff. But is it both reminiscent? You know, is it sort of a bit of a flashback for you to when you guys were coming up? Um, and is it yeah. interesting to be to have been surpassed on some level by them in terms of the mm. the current crop? You know, the public consciousness. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I mean, I don't hear musically the same thing. No. Um, in terms of Bands coming up, certainly, but yeah, they've far surpassed you know commercially um, what we've ever done, um, which is which is awesome. That, that's one even possible, and two mm. um, can be done over and over again. You know, with with a band, um, I think um, I think that their music is true to true to themselves, and that and it's a lot more radio friendly than most of the things that we've ever done. You know, um, and even though we might have tweaked. Songs to make it, you know, a bit shorter or a bit. Mm. We've never really gone. Let's make it, you know, this way. Mm. And I'm not saying that they do either, but they've got this much more um, commercial sound, which which totally works yeah. for them. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so I don't. I. I mean, I, I. The similarities are being a young band coming up, but they've fast passed that. So mm. I, I don't really know if there are other similarities. Yeah. Mm. No, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, there's a sort of spirit. Amongst some of those bands that 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 I feel might have been similar to, yeah, I think to, they've got their own spirit. Eh? Yeah. I think it's a different, it's an evolution of um, yeah, millennial um, spirit or slightly mm. and slightly older. But mm. um, it's just a and it's a, and it's a new vision. I'm not sure I can explain what their vision is, mm. <coughs> how to explain that because I think that there's you know we're talking about Shehead in the '90s yeah. when I was a teenager and and it's just it's just like you're doing bucket bongs and going to Shehead. I mean, I'm not saying that the Dunedin culture of 660 is that dissimilar, really, if you look yeah, at the fundamentals. Yeah. You yeah. still go and see a band you love. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the commercial audio, you know, the actual sound of, like, mm. what what you're hearing, it's a lot sweeter and a lot more commercial, a lot brighter, a lot more refined. Um, and and we were a vintage jam band, you know, that um, mm. started off loving, you know, rootsy, um, dirty reggae and dub and soul music, you know, with a crackle on the on the vinyl and, a, you mm. know, and, and that's just a different mm. thing. And then we, we tried to make things that were a Kiwi version of that. Not to say that we do that all the time now, but, you know, we were, like, wanting to be that. So it's just different, totally mm. different in that way, I'm, you know. Um, but, yeah, congrats to them, you know. Mm. It's, like, mm. it's just awesome. It's just mega for them. Any... Um, Regrets or any kind of, you know, paths you wish you'd gone down earlier or? Um, yeah, I, I, there's nothing that I, that comes to mind that's like a big regret um, musically or, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a couple of things, you know, that, that might have happened that were regretful or whatever. But no, I, 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 you know, it's kind of, you can't take it back once it's already happened, eh? so mm. it's kind of, mm. but nothing really, really shitty that, you know, um, Oh, one one story is one, one of the members of the, of the seeds were over and were over in Germany and were touring, and um, this person was expecting a child, their first child, 
to be born like once we got back from tour and the child came early and there were complications and we we're in Germany you know so that I always felt bad about that particular yeah. thing like why did we fucking push yeah. this so close yeah. and just think that everything was going to be fine and um, the baby would come on time you know yeah, and yeah. Um, we were like two weeks it was two weeks early or something like that and so it was a week away from when we were going to be getting it back home and we dealt with it well at the time we just we had five more gigs to do but we just said look Without this person, we're not going to do these gigs. We all need to go home now. They need to go and see their brand new baby who's in hospital now, you know? Mm. Um, and I guess, like, you know, with your ambition meets reality. Yes. Sometimes you're like, yeah. and then we can, you know, we can fucking do this, and then we'll <laughs> yeah. fucking do this massive list of gigs. And you're like, actually, guys, like, this is going to kill us. Like, one American tour we did um, was was so ambitious and on a really low budget and in a, in a van that wasn't that, you know, that doesn't yeah. even have a headrest, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. let alone a touring bus, you know, and so you're doing these gigs and then by about gig 11, you, you, you've worked out that fucking hell, like, what we're trying to do on this schedule is almost physically impossible. We're losing an hour sleep a night by having to drive to the next place, you yeah, know, yeah. so you get to the hotel at seven in the morning f- to have a shit shower shave and then get back in the van to travel another eight hours to do another gig and lose another hour, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and then it yeah. stops. But, but yeah. it's just like, okay, we've learned a lot from some of these mistakes. So no regrets, but we could you can learn how to just do things refine. better, just, you know? Just refinements. No regrets, just refinements. Just get, working out yeah, how to do it. And as we get older, you know, it's just like, mm. you got to... I respect that the band's been together a long time in terms of The Seeds, which is the main touring group. Yeah. And, you know, you know some of the limits and, and what yeah. sounds like a good idea and what sounds like a fucking terrible idea, like, but good in theory. Yeah, yeah. And so hopefully we get better. And, but yeah, I mean, I have a lot of respect. You know, I'm talking about all these different bands mainly that are that are teams of people, and then yeah. there's a lot going on within that team. You know, mm. and I'm I'm one part of that. Yeah. But as long as I can have a good attitude towards like the writing good songs, has got to be the first thing. Mm. And it's not even thinking about where we're going to tour it, how much money we're going to make, who's going to like it, will the millennials still like us, <laughs> or do they like us at all? You know, it's not. Yeah, that's yeah. not the aims. Yeah. You know, some people might say maybe it fucking should be. You know, but we're artists and, and you just gotta stay true to your, you know, to what you're doing. And, and for us still, that's trying to do, like John Tugard said on his podcast, you know, a really good show, no matter what, and that's your standard. Mm. And always aim for that, mm. and not be a lazy, you know, person. Yeah. And um, being lazy and tr- just being trying to be cool. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna get older and it's gonna be harder to do, to do that, but we should be able to still do great shows, maybe less of them. And make some good albums still, you know, or um, EPs or whatever you wanna do, you know, but. I think there's still there's still lots of life in there, and sometimes it's best not to rush into. We're not rushing into another album. We've got lots of albums out. Um, make it good, or you know, or don't really make it. You know, or, or try to make something good, but don't put out something that's just shit. You know, Mm-mm. where you look back and go, oh, that album's way shitter than all the other albums we did. Yeah. Why did we do that? Oh, because we rushed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we thought we could make an album in time for this, or you know, mm. they're all bad reasons to mm. do an album. Mm. Is there um We've had a pretty decent chat for yeah, two yeah. people who've only really talked <laughs> once, I think, in real life before. No, thank you, Simon. Um, I've enjoyed it. Is there anything that I should have brought up that, or anything no. out further you want to plug? <clears throat> I mean, uh, sorry sorry if I rant and raved on. but no, um, it's good. There's, there's a lot in there, and it brings up um, lots of good things and, and good memories and mm. challenging times, and, you know, you know, it's definitely worth it um, from my side of things and um, they, you know there's there's more to talk about perhaps in the future for sure mm, mm. about um, some Flash Harry stuff and maybe you know to, yeah, to cool. give you some of that and, and, and have another catch up about the future I mean I think that we spoke a little bit about, about mm. that but um, mm. I, I still feel still young at heart in terms of an artist but and with lots to to make and 
play for people. Mm. So, yeah, maybe we could talk about that in the future. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm really looking forward to that Flash Harry stuff. The, yeah, cool. just Just you mentioning that that's going to live again, you know, that that, yeah. that entity. There's yeah. no fan, you know, there's, there's very <laughs> yeah, few yeah. amount of audience, but that's kind of cool. That's very liberating, right? Like, there's is, no yeah. pressure for yeah, you to, to, like, to do anything. Be able to just give you 10 yeah. tracks and go, yeah. check that out, and then yeah. do another, give you another 10 tracks in a year, but they're already yeah. done, you know? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like, oh no, what am I going to do now? Yeah, yeah.